in. Give me a clap. In three, two, one. Okie dokie. A little bit better than the last one. <laughs> Alrighty. Alright. We're back, baby. Hey, hey, hey. Okie dokie. Cool. Um, okay, yes. Yeah, so, actually, let me put this over here real quick and this over here. Because I don't know. Oh, and then I got my description that I need here. <laughs> Sorry, dude. You need to go do another one? <laughs> I'm ready to go for hours. Excuse me for just a moment. <laughs> um, okay, cool. All right. Yeah. We're recording. We're good. I'm in here. And we're good to go. Yeah. Ready when you are, buddy. Ready when you are. going my friend man I was doing fine and then the whole thing with Saint Nick went down and it's just man I'm telling you like I've been really bummed out about it because it was a total misunderstanding you know like I yeah it really is man because you know what here's the thing so like I love Christmas okay and I really wanted to show my appreciation to the Claus family as a whole. So my wife is actually a really good knitter and I had her knit a sweater for Mr. and Mrs. Claus. So, you know, on the way over there, I was bringing, I, you know, I had it like strapped to my back. It had caught on some trees, right? Some shrubbery. It was kind of torn up a little bit, the sweater for Mrs. Claus that is. So when I got there, I presented it to him, asked her to put it on. And let's just say that it had kind of a Barbarella thing going on, right? It was a little ragged and it was like, it was actually super sexy, right? But I wouldn't dare that say that in front of Mr. Claus. Anyways, he comes out, he sees the two of us, he sees her like stripping down. It was a complete misunderstanding. He thought that I was trying to hit on his wife. And, and, and again, dude, I mean, it's like, I mean, first of all, look, no disrespect, but she's like 463 years old. And, and that's just not my, my, not my bag, firstly, right? Like, second of all, I would never do anything to disrespect Mr. Claus. That man has been hooking me up since I was like a little baby with some cool shit on the reg every year. I wouldn't dare disrespect someone like that. But uh, yeah, so now I'm on his shit list. And here's the thing. It's a literal shit list, okay? People think that you get coal in your stocking negative every year. Huge mound of fecal matter in my stocking. <laughs> well, it has sparkles in it, so it. But I don't know that I was gonna say because I don't know that that narrows it down. Oh yeah, I'm not. I'll admit I'm not hugely learned on the differences between reindeer shit and elf shit. But uh, 
yeah, man, it just sucks, dude. Like, I love that guy. I love the presents. Now I just get shit every year. And here's the thing, dude. Like, I did, I, I thought it was cool, right? Because so silly me. I'm the only person, apparently, that didn't realize that I saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus was about a, a dad who dresses up as Santa Claus and their kid catches them. And that's the whole thing. That's why Mommy's Kissing Santa Claus, because Daddy's dressing up. I always took that that I always took that Carol literally. I thought that, like, it was just kind of a thing like, hey, Santa Claus leaves presents for the kids. And oh, by the way, he's going to cuck your wife. Like, that's the trade off. You know what I mean? Like and and that's cool for me as a kid. Like, what do I care? Right. Like I'm getting presents on the reg, dude. So, and, you know, I was really just sort of shocked. Well, yeah, so uh, that's what I thought. And so that's why I was like even more shocked that he was like so bent out of shape about it, even if it was a misunderstanding, because I thought that was just something that happened. And then. Yeah, exactly. And then I find out that it's. <laughs> yeah, dude. And so it turns out that it's just my dumbass, you know, misinterpreting the lyrics to this song the whole time and. Man, it's just, you know, you're left with egg on your face and shit in your stocking. It sucks, man. <laughs> yeah, or so he says it's eggnog, but it tastes a little salty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just wholesale banned from the holidays. So, but it's cool because now I just make like a fuck ton of cookies and give them to my friends and uh, none for old Santa Claus. So, you know, you're missing out too, bitch. Yeah, that's what's up. Get at me, Santa. <laughs> Thanks, bud. Yes, we do. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right, man. From Google, without warning, happy successful Parisian couple, George, played by Daniel Atelier, and Anne Laurent, played by Juliette Binoche, the lovely Juliette Binoche, receive anonymous videos suggesting that they are being stalked. The tapes are followed by disturbingly violent, if childish, drawings. George, a well-known literary talk show host, shrugs off the mysterious messages, but Anna grows increasingly distressed and fearful for their teenage son. She grows to suspect an incident in George's past is behind the increasing torment. Ryan, what did you think about this movie? Oof. Always rough. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Interesting.
<laughs> well, I suppose we'll have to go ahead and uh, get into it here. But Ryan, first, I'm going to need you to let me know where we should start. <laughs> At the beginning, indeed. So when we open, we've actually got something of an awkward frame as credits roll over an image of a typical suburban neighborhood. The camera's positioned across the street from an apartment complex and in between two other complexes, the walls of which create a claustrophobic feel on either side of the frame. Now, sedans and healthy shrubs litter the street, while the top of a car and a motorcycle are cut off at the bottom of the frame. Everything comes together to give it a 4-3 feel, though it isn't, and for almost the entire shot we also hear very little going on, save for that of birds chirping, until the off-screen voices interrupt that. It's both a man and a woman, they interrupt the silence. Now, Ryan, when the voices chime in, the man is basically asking, like, where did you find this? She responds, a plastic bag on the porch. We, we don't exactly know what it is yet, and that's going to kind of be a theme where there's certain things talked about that are slowly revealed over the course of the film. Uh, the man, the protagonist, uh, goes out into the street. He's obviously sort of paranoid that someone is watching him or something like that. Uh, he's looking for someone or something, but he can't find them. And he goes back into the house. Now, Ryan, here's the first thing I will say, okay? Which is that, like, you know, three to five minutes into this film, one of the great reveals of all time, okay? I, and maybe that's a little bit hyperbolic, but I absolutely loved the reveal because... Like I said, I thought that this opening shot of just this apartment complex, was, like it was really busy. It wasn't necessarily like artistically framed. Uh, it was just it was it was a really awkward shot. And it was interesting because I know Hanique's reputation as a very sort of esteemed filmmaker. And I thought it was a really just sort of, again, like non it wasn't even ugly. It was just very sort of like a mediocre shot that someone would do. So when all of a sudden we see the static lines of him fast forwarding on that frame and then all of a sudden we, we realize that like they're watching a video of that I, I loved that because I did not see that coming it was an honest legitimate surprise did, did you have any reaction to that that the same for you or was it not really the same <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I'm sorry. I, I, th I think you're, I, now that you said an awkward time for cinema, I think you're about to go into maybe digital photography. I thought you were going to say it's a weird time for them to lean so heavy into VCRs. Because <laughs> it's like v VCRs and cassettes in like 06. It was like, we're, I, don't, I think we were past that. Because I, I, I think I got a DVD player in junior high, and that, I was like graduated college. Well, not that I actually like graduated. Uh, just letting you guys know, but uh, I was done with college by then. Let's say. <laughs> Well, but you also weren't using like giant whatever millimeter those old school VHSs. You're on the mini DVs at that point. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. 
Yeah. <laughs> but it looks okay, but it was at least like a little bit more artistically shot, you know, there's there's more contrast the way it was lit, etc. And and and, and honestly well also and, and the other thing that we'll get into later is camera movement as well, which which we'll touch on in a minute here. So yes. I well, uh, yes and no. We'll get into that in a minute here. So Literally in a minute here. So that's why I'm going to move us forward. <laughs> so the couple are watching this tape, right? And they want to know where it came from. Uh, we get to see the outside of their house on this surveillance footage that they're watching. So we realize now that they're being spied on or something to that effect, even if we're not 100% clear exactly what's going on. And so this is what I wanted to to bring up is I think that for me... I think Hanique's pretty upfront with his filmmaking style and he kind of kind of doles out most of his sort of tricks or his motifs, so to say, within the first half hour. Now, you're saying that the movie was on sticks for a lot of the film. I, I suppose I suppose maybe that's true because it's probably true that most films are on sticks most of the time. Right. I mean, if we're taking out your giant $200 million epics, right? Like that's, it's an economical style of filmmaking. And especially with the films that we watch on this show, right? Like, uh, what, what am I thinking of? Uh, not that it was a great film, but you know, your friends and neighbors was a perfect example of that, right? Where it's just like, okay, grab your wide shot, go in, get your close-ups. you know, correct. Yeah. So yeah, but here's the thing. So you say that, but this scene right here, okay, is absolutely not that because it starts if it doesn't start in the living room, it starts in the kitchen and it's a two shot. I don't know. Actually, it does start in the living room and then it follows George into the kitchen. It sets up like a two shot of the two of them. They talk for a minute and then I think George goes over to like a cabinet and then it follows the two of them back outside, uh, not outside, but outside of the kitchen into the dining room. And then it sets up like a two shot and it's this really long, like five minute take with a significant amount of dolly movement. Now, I don't I won't say that we have a lot of instances of that throughout the course of the film, but A they are there, and then that's also not to bring up the sort of, you know, almost Kubrickian flat tracking dolly shots that he does like outside the school, well, a little bit later like when he's picked up and stuff. Yeah, true. Sure.
Yes. Yeah. Same. Definitely, even down to the fact that I'm sure for you now, like the cover and the poster hits a little differently <laughs> after watching the film. It's like, oh, OK, yeah, that's uh, got it. See what's going on there. Uh, we'll get to that in a little bit, of course. So now, yeah, now now here's the thing, Ryan. I'm going to come out and say this right now, which is that this is actually a movie that I really want to watch again. Now, not necessarily immediately, but. Uh, so full disclosure, been been a crazy week. I just watched this film last night. Uh, so uh, I did. <laughs> so here's the thing. So there is I feel like this is a film where there are pieces of the puzzle here that I haven't necessarily pieced them together because I didn't have the time to really sit down and work through it yet. And maybe we'll end up doing that over the course of this episode. Right. So. Oh, did you? Okay, great. Because I would, yeah. So that's going to be good because we're going to be able to work through that because yeah, I, I didn't have time to sit here and chew on it, but it's just, it's one of those things where, especially by way of reputation and by way of what's on the screen, it's like, okay, dude, this, this Michael Hanik guy very clearly knows how to make a film, very clearly knows what's up. Seems like he's not the guy to waste a frame or a shot. So I feel like a lot of these uh, things that seem maybe a little out of sorts or appear superfluous on, on the surface are really not. And they're really sort of, uh, you know, lynchy and like clues, if you will, to what's going on without just telling you what's going on through dialogue. You know, I think there's, I think it's like we, uh, like we looked at with Jonathan Glazer and under the skin, you know, I do think that there's a lot of nonverbal communication that the filmmaker is trying to project. And I just didn't have enough time to sit down and put everything together. So it'll be fun to have that conversation with you. So one of the first things, for example, is like this next sequence and, and all of the other sequences of the kids swimming. And I feel like, you know, it's either it's either a metaphor or it's a direct hint as to. And I think that maybe when all is said and done, the kid had a certain level of involvement that maybe I didn't pick up on initially. Um, but like I said, I haven't 100 percent worked through that, but it's just there's a lot of things that appear to not make sense and it's kind of one of those things like you know when you're talking to someone who you know they're smarter than you are and they say something and you don't know what it means and you're like that's on me <laughs> they know what they're talking about I don't know what they're talking about but they know what they're talking about <laughs> so I there was a lot of moments like that where it's like that seems superfluous so it's probably not because again that's just the vibe I get from this guy right but again and didn't necessarily would have loved to have more time to work through it. but anyway so um you know moving forward from there we've got another sort of long time uh or rather a long nighttime surveillance shot we learn quickly that George is this talk show host for this public access program from what I can tell it's a round table about literature that they have and from there he returns home there's another tape they watch it we get a very quick shot at first of the paper that it was wrapped in, the video was wrapped in, and it's got this very sort of childlike image that we don't see super long, 
But we cut back to it after seeing some of the surveillance. And it's basically a childish drawing of a kid with a, or a person anyways, with blood coming out of their mouth. And so it's a little, it's not like an inherently, it's a violent drawing. It's not inherently creepy, but in context of what it might mean and who it's coming from, uh, it's definitely a little bit unsettling. So, and then, you know, from there they go to the police station, but the police aren't willing to do anything for them because there's no active violent threats that have come about yet. <clears throat> Let us know after you die and we'll come help you out. <laughs> Limited resources. Sorry, what do you want us to do? <laughs> Now, what? Go ahead. Oh, totally. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, I think there's 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 a there's like a, a PBS slash public access aesthetic. Right. And it's very consistent and it always has that thing where it. Yeah, it feels like it's being recorded in someone's basement. Right. <laughs> on like bait on like Betamax tape from 30 years ago. <laughs> it's like we're in Wayne's basement, only that's not Wayne's basement. Isn't that weird? <laughs> now, Ryan, you touched on this earlier, okay? And I actually think the film I, I, I kind of want to just get a little bit of clarity, uh, <laughs> a running theme of this film, right? But of your position on how it played with the digital. Because look, it was, again, sort of the, you know, dawn of digital filmmaking, right? You didn't get, it didn't have the compatibility with the lenses and shit that you get today, right? So obviously everything looks a little bit differently. But I also think that, and I think you kind of touched on this, I think that it also sort of conceptually did a good job of leaning into that, right? Like, oh, okay, so we've got this digital technology. It's cheap, but it doesn't look so great. But hey, you know, we can center this around surveillance technology. And so it'll give that effect. And um, I think that it did a really good job of sort of not biting off more than it could chew in that regard and sort of finding a way to be like, okay, we have these limitations. Can we reverse engineer this thing in such a way that we can figure out a way to make it work, you know? And I think they did that pretty effectively. Sure. Sure. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Michael Bay. Yeah. Yeah, totally. 
Yeah, I thought it did that really effectively. And look, and then, you know, after that, for example, we do get the what I referenced earlier, the really nice tracking shot where George picks up his son's name is Perot, by the way. Uh, I may be butchering that pronunciation, but we'll call him Perot. And yeah, so he goes to pick him up at school. And then again, we get that nice Kubrick tracking shot, right, where it starts and then it sort of goes down and watches him get in and comes back before it goes in for the close ups inside the vehicle. And I thought that was a really nice shot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was thinking about it and I was wondering if that's like a, a Michael Hanik uh, signature because I was thinking about funny games and I remember having a very similar reaction to funny games where there wasn't a lot of music. And, you know, when the when the kids would show up to the house, you know, he just kind of let like the birds chirp outside and Midsommar, Midsommar did that a little bit, too, you know, where it's like sort of playing against convention. Right. Instead of like the you know, Halloween, like, or, you know, Nightmare Before Elm Street, whatever the hell it is, or just, you know, the low, like, right? It's just like, dude, just fucking be silent, man. Just let the, let the fucking birds chirp. And that's it, right? That, that could be just as unsettling as anything else, because it just, it, it creates this sense of normalcy. And then the threatening behavior juxtaposes that, you know? So, yeah, no, so I thought it, um, and, and, and so I think he, <laughs> fantastic fantastic yeah so uh and then from there so this is actually i would say where kind of the film uh changes its style a little bit and we get a lot more so it's this uh dinner party scene and it's the one where the friend is sort of telling the story about his encounter with the woman and she thought he looked like her dog and it was this whole misunderstanding thing. But if you'll notice, so his entire story that he tells is probably, what, three minutes, let's call it, right? And it's just a single, yeah, and it's just a single wide shot the whole time. Guy never cuts. And then after he tells the story, there's a ring at the doorbell. And then from there, everything goes to a series of singles, where it's a bunch of individual close-ups and then it's no longer showing the entire party together as one. And I think it's to sort of show the distrust, the element of mistrust that's introduced um, because then he starts shooting all of them individually and cutting them together. So they go from being a collective whole to a series of individuals. I thought that was really effectively done. Yeah. 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 And we do see that, the, you know, we're not exactly sure what's going on, but there's that whole 
little misunderstanding where the guy says that their friend Federico is working on a movie and then it comes up a little bit later and he's like, hey, how's the script? And he's like, what script? And he's like, for the movie? He's like, oh, right, yeah, I don't know. And it was just like, wait, so there's obviously some sort of, you know, misdirection going on there. Again, uh, another aspect that I would love to have been able to chew on longer or go back and rewatch and kind of make sense of. But, um, but yeah, so I think that whatever's going on kind of has to do with Maybe this guy, what's his name? What is this guy's name? He's the one that uh, she meets with later on. Is it Francois? Is that him? <laughs> Jean? I don't know. Either way. Um, it's the one that the kid basically thinks that she's having an affair with. So, yeah. And so I think he's involved to a degree. I think the kid's involved to some degree. But haven't, again, really worked through what all that means. Now, they get another video. So, basically... The wife, Anne, has put it out there to the party guests, what's going on. They're getting these calls. They're getting these videos. So George is like, well, cat's out of the bag. Let's go ahead and watch the video. And it ends up being of whoever is sending these videos going to the house that he grew up at, right? So there's some sort of potentially threatening insinuation that uh, his parents might be targeted. So he goes to visit them the next day, though. Dad isn't there. It's just the mom. She's living there with the caretaker. And she immediately knows that something's up. She's trying to ask him what's going on. And he's just like, oh, yeah, nothing, nothing. Don't worry about it. Right. And um, there's also uh, now there's also something that happens, too, that I believe is reflective of what, what we do know by the end of the film. OK, and that's basically what George did to this guy Majid that we're going to talk about in a little bit. And so we get this close up and I wasn't really sure as well as a cutaway. I wasn't really sure what was going on at the moment, but I kind of kind of makes sense later. And it's of this kid, you know, and at first you think it's kind of a dream and it doesn't end up being a dream, but it's uh, this kid cutting the head off of a chicken. And, you know, we, we, we watch the whole thing happen and the chicken kind of flutter around. And then he turns to another kid who's watching him, who's younger, who we can kind of tell is supposed to be George as a kid. And it kind of runs up and attacks him. And then George wakes up in that cold sweat from his, his dream. And uh, this is basically, you know, between that and then there's another shot that happens where, like, we get this quick push in and it's, it happens a little bit earlier. And it's where the kid is, like, bleeding from the mouth. And at first it's like, what the hell is going on? This seems so random. And then we find out that these are all sort of things that he did to this guy Majid as a kid. We'll go into that in just a moment here. So, um, Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, no, dude, that was totally real. That's just some shit where they have, like, different laws in France or something, dude. They abs There's no way that they got around that. Or it was like the chicken was going to be slaughtered anyways. So they're like, hey, you're going to kill the chicken. Can we just 
do it on film and have this guy do it and pay you some money. And they were like, sure. <laughs> As I'm sure it was supposed to be. Yes. Okay, well, you know, I think uh, I think this is actually going to be a, good, a pretty good point to get into it because our next scene is actually where we do get the reveal of the Majid character. And so George and his wife, Anne, are watching the video. They're able to determine what street uh, something is. I believe it's Lennon Avenue. They can tell from, from freeze-framing it. And so... George also mentions that uh, he thinks he knows what's going on. And uh, that was actually a really interesting scene, too. So he basically is like, hey, wife, pretty sure I know what's going on, but I'm not going to tell you. Let me work through this. She's like, what do you mean you're not going to tell me? And he's like, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. I'm going to find out first. And if it's cool, I'll let you know. And if not, and then she's like, well, well, why don't you just tell me what you think is going on? He's like, nah, nah, I don't want to. She's like, why not? And he's like, (laughs) right? Like, so here's the thing. First of all, like. Just keep your fucking mouth shut first and foremost if you're not ready to bring it up, dude. Like, that's a, I mean, that's that that's just life advice, right? Like, don't speak until you know for sure that, you know, something is what it is or, you know, don't play your cards too, too quickly. Don't tip your hand, whatever. Um, but secondly, like, yeah, I mean, and, and the way that it does, you know, speak to the nature of their relationship and how based on this, you know, it isn't a picture perfect marriage and we don't need to go into all of the flashbacks and see what happened before. We can just sort of tell that there's this certain detachment, you know, that, that occurs between the two of them. And basically you can tell that he's sort of a domineering sort that she's asked to trust him all the time. And he's never willing to do the same with her. She references that and I thought it was a really effective way to bring in that element of sort of marital strife and, and relationship drama without going so heavy or modeling into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So from there, though, so George goes back. He, he ends up finding the apartment. The video shows a sort of dingy hallway. He's able to find that hallway and he goes, buzzes the door. The person answers and it's this kind of older guy. And Immediately, we can tell that the guy recognizes George, but that George doesn't recognize the guy. And it's a little bit unclear exactly what's going on there. Uh, And there's a lot of illusions sort of being made to the past. And George is like, you know, you're sending these tapes, but the guy's in full denial. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about with the tapes. But at the same time, he still very clearly knows him. And so, you know, for a couple minutes there, it does a really effective job of, of, you know, you're not really sure who's telling what, what the nature of everything is. And then it basically becomes revealed uh, shortly thereafter that uh, this guy was an orphan back in the day. So George's parents uh, had uh, basically, I, I don't believe they were full on slaves. They were more like housekeepers, right? Um, yeah, so they had these housekeepers that were Algerian. And apparently there was a real life event in France uh, in the 60s or something like that where they basically like slaughtered a bunch of Algerians. I believe it was a sort of a national, you know, race sort of targeted thing. And um, and so the two parents that were the housekeepers for George's family were among those people. They got killed. The parents 
of George ended up feeling guilty, and so they went to adopt the child that these two uh, Algerian couple that the Algerian couple had, and it's this guy Majid. And George really wasn't pleased with that, right? Like, he got jealous. He didn't like having him around. He was an only child. He wanted things to stay that way. So he starts to make up lies about what this Majid kid is doing so that eventually the parents will get rid of him in some form or another, right? That's that's where all of this comes from. And so it's there's an element of guilt that George either does or doesn't have as it relates to that. And I believe that's kind of what a lot of the film is centered around. But basically, among the lies that he told were that he was bleeding from the mouth, uh, the kid was, and then also that uh, the family wanted the kid to cut the head off this chicken, which they really didn't. And uh, so, all you know, those two things specifically are represented by the drawings that you just spoke of, as well as those tiny cutaway dream sequences that we saw. Yeah. Yes. Same, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, you know, that's, uh, hold on. Let me take, retake that. Yeah, so that's basically where the crux of all of the conflict stems from is really just everything goes back to that one moment and then the ripple effect that their different actions and reactions had from there. So now 
After that, we've got the wife, and she's visiting with the friend, like I said, the guy, I forget his name, but Francois, whoever it is, is the one that the kid thinks that she's having an affair with. She returns home, and Perot is not there. So George then returns, yes, the son Perot. So George returns to the apartment with cops, because now they have a missing person case. They're looking for Perot, and uh, they, sorry, hold on. Okay, so this will just be after, uh, let's, you know, let me just retake this from the top real quick. <clears throat> cool. <clears throat> so, Ryan, yeah, from that's the whole crux of conflict where everything sort of stems from. And from there, uh, we've got the moment where the wife's hanging out with that guy that the son thinks she's having the affair with. Forget if it was Francois, whatever. And she returns home, but Perot, the son, he's not there, right? So now we've got a missing persons case, and George is able to get the cops to go with him back to the apartment of the Majid character. And except when they get there, Majid doesn't answer the door. It's this younger guy. Now, this was also an interesting moment because for, you know, a few minutes until we we see them in the cop car later, I wasn't sure if it was like a bait and switch, right? If like somebody else was now living there and this Majid guy was gone, you know, and they were trying to pull like a con. And that's really that's that's really one of the things that I love about this film is it's like, you know, what we, we, we get really into when I say we, I mean, anybody that's watches films, right? Like we get into the sort of what can we take about the film after the fact and really dissect it. Right. So a film like 2001, you can write books on it you know you can discuss it to death right and that's great but there's also these sort of little mini moments uh within film that are highly effective right so those that the, those few minutes where we don't know like that's a masterful effect right this the way that you certain play that we can't really talk about it after the fact because we very quickly find out that it's not the case but just the fact that they were able to like l like plant that seed for those few minutes you know, th I think little moments like that tend to go underappreciated by, you know, us and by the filmmaking community or the film watching community as a whole. So I was really impressed by just the, like I said, the different moments uh, like that, that this film possessed. Yep. Yeah, totally. Sure. Yeah.
It was. Yeah. <laughs> no, I really think his name is Francois, but we've also just committed to that at this point. Like, it could be his name could be Bill, and we're just like, nope, it's Francois for sure. <laughs> Based on nothing other than we have said it is. <laughs> John. What's a generic white American name? Let's call him Mike. Let's get on with this. <laughs> no, totally, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's kind of one of the things that, okay. So firstly, to answer your, your question, um, I, I honestly, I think I've, I'm such a basic bitch when it comes to Hitchcock, dude. I think I've seen two of his films, which is funny. Cause I've seen psycho like four or five times. I really, really love psycho. And other than that, I saw the birds once and didn't care for it. And funny enough, that was actually with you. We watched it in film school way back in Ot three or whatever the fuck it was. Yeah, it goes for our uh, sound design concentration class, whatever. Um, and yeah, I didn't dig it. Cool sound design, but not a great movie. Anyways, so yeah, so I when people describe things as being Hitchcockian, like I <laughs> cinematic confession, I don't know what that means because I haven't seen enough of his work, and I don't. I have a feeling that I have a feeling that Psycho is maybe a little bit different than some of his most of his other work because it doesn't feel the way that people describe his work as being in general, like to me, like psycho moves and it's, uh, it's got a, it's got a good clip and I don't know. So, uh, I, you know, but I do see what you're saying. Here's, here's the thing. I'm actually, I, the, so to me, when I was watching this and this is, I think sort of one of the interesting things about having so many foreign films that we look at, right. Which is that you notice that foreign cinema tends to be a lot less dramatic, with the performances as well as the overall filmmaking, right? So one of the sort of hallmarks of a lot of American films, and especially when you look at your more mainstream fare, right, is it's the, uh, you know, the the Jerry Maguire ending, right? We talk about, right, you know, running through the rain to go see the girl at the end and loudly proclaim your love and big swell of orchestra. And I mean, we've been doing that since the 40s, you know, with all of uh, the the romantic comedies from back then and the, and the dramatic romances from back then and the musicals. And so, you know, we do things very big over here and we expect there to be a freaking hell of a climax, right? But when we watch these other films, right, whether it's a, a Japanese film like High and Low or whether it's a so I, this <laughs> this was interesting because this is a French film 
from an Austrian filmmaker who was born in Germany. <laughs> so um, I think Hanik's pretty cultured. I think he's probably, you know, speaks a few different languages. I, I've seen interviews with him both in French and German. Um, so, you know, I'm sure he's a smart dude. But, uh, but yeah, so... And I think that in general, you know, again, it's sort of like like high and low, if you remember, that just ended. There was no, like, swelling crescendo. Like, we found out who did it. He went to jail. Cops wrapped it up. And it was like, all right, cool. We're done. Peace out, y'all. And we left, you know. Um, even going even going back to, like, M in 1932 from Germany with Fritz Lang, you know, like, once things get resolved, like, cool, it's over, it's done with. That does have a very dramatic third act with Peter Lorre, of course, but even just, like, the final shot, you know, like, they don't really do final shots the way we do final shots anywhere. Like, once the movie's over, they're like, cool, it's over, quick fade out and we're done. You know, it's not the, you don't have some giant crane shot that always has to, you know, go up into the sky and show the entire valley or nightscape or whatever to the soothing sounds of the Bee Gees or whatever the fuck, right? Like... <laughs> it's how we do man it's how we do um so yeah so so the way that this movie just kind of just sort of like ends right like with that like it's a couple minute shot of the school and then the credits roll and it also it starts that way you know we've just got a couple minutes uh, or we've got the static shot of the apartment and then, you know, the opening credits just kind of pop up and, and go across the screen in a very non-sexy sort of business-like fashion. Uh, it's certainly not a, you know, David Fincher or a uh, Zack Snyder uh, credit sequence. So, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, again, and lack of music. Yeah. So uh, I thought it was, you know, again, it's always interesting. I mean, uh, for better or worse. And look, I... I, I do like the ambiguous endings, right? Like, I love the, the Stanley Kubrick 2001, like, we're not going to give you everything, or the David Lynch endings, you know? And uh doesn't mean I always love the film along the way, in the case of David Lynch, but I, I do appreciate those endings. No, 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 we're not ending the film, no, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 okay, so... So let's get back to the film here. So, you know, first of all, again, when the kid does come back home, you described that he was dropped off by the mom. That's the nurse. He's really upset at his mom because he thinks she's having an affair. Now, the reason that I, I suspect this has something to do with what's going on is because that came out of nowhere for me. I was just like, what the like? There's one quick scene of her having some coffee with him. And, you know, yeah, like he's maybe a little affectionate with her, but it didn't, it's also France, right? Like we know there's like, you know, physicality and touching and there's not really like social bubbles. So, I mean, all of that could just be, yeah, exactly. You know, it didn't seem, didn't seem anything beyond the way that that's typically portrayed as just French people being right. Like they're just affectionate people. And so I, we just, it came out of nowhere, that allegation. And again, you know, so it's like, okay, there must be something here because where the hell did that even come from? <laughs> all just a misunderstanding man all just a misunderstanding yeah that's that's the thing that was a french style sweater too so 
<laughs> but the uh, so so this so this I, I kind of refer to him as the adopted brother, even though he didn't really get adopted at the end of the day, or he was adopted, but it was a very brief brief period of time. So this guy Majid, so he ends up calling George back over, and he's like, "Hey, want to talk to you about something real quick?" George is like, "Okay." So he comes over, and immediately, dude closes the door, whips out a razor, straight edge razor, and slits his own throat, and the ensuing gash splatters across the wall in a vertical fashion and that ends up being the uh cover image that's uh that's what that red gash is on that cover is uh splash of blood from the guy slitting his own neck and consequently why i said it uh hits a little differently yeah yeah <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you what you don't do. You don't do what George did, which is like go for a stroll and go see a movie without alerting to the cops to the fact that you were the last person seen with someone with a huge gash in their neck, like. <laughs> No, I know. But only because his wife had to convince him. Because he goes and he talks to his wife in the next scene and she's like, what'd you do? And he's like, yeah, I went for a stroll. And she's like, you know the cops are going to think you did it, right? And he's like, yeah, I guess you're right now that you mention it. I should I should report that in. <laughs> Come on, George. Let's go. Let's have a little bit of, don't, don't, don't be dumb horror guy here. Come on. Exactly, right? Come on, man. They're just that, that's what that's what they're hoping you would do. Whoever's setting you up, that's exactly what they want you to do, bro. Same way you were yelling at your wife that uh, that's exactly what they wanted her to do. Ah. <laughs> Dude, you know what sucks is like I have a you know how you had to bullshit your way through all those Kurosawa conversations because you had never seen any of his movies? I have to do the same thing with Tiger King. I've literally never seen like 30 seconds of Tiger King. I, I literally don't even, I think I know the name Joe Exotic and the name Carol Baskins. And I think people think she killed him, but he, she got away with it. Is that the general gist of it? Oh, so who, who'd she kill? Didn't she like kill someone and people think she should be in prison? Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's go already. <laughs> oh man, dude! They should—they should have totally cast you for Mario. Fuck Chris Pratt. You've got Mario, dude. I said they should have never cast Chris Pratt. You've got the Mario Italian plumber down. That's about spot. That's about spot. That's about spot. Whatever that was, you just did. Oh. Big Cat Rescue sounds like the name of a Ted Nugent album, by the way. <laughs> you don't say. Oh, 
dude, that's a tale as old as time, man. I mean, come on. No, I'm not. I'm not even joking, dude. I mean, dude, the fucking uh, what's the uh, the movie with the uh, the musical and the story and the guy who makes people's into pies and shit. Tumbleweed. Uh, God damn it. What am I thinking of? Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then, you know, I feel like, uh, I feel like you go back in like, you know, folklore history or whatever. And, and there's totally like tales of, you know, people who used like human meat, like the, uh, whatever that story, the Simpsons played off of, you know, where the, the, the gym teacher uses the, uh, human meat visit to the kids. Wasn't that like even like a twilight zone or some shit back in the day? <laughs> Tale as old as time, sir. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah. So, anyway, so the wife convinces him. He goes, he calls it in, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, they're not really suspicious of him at all or anything like that. And, uh, but then, so from there, so we find out that the, you correct me if this, excuse me. <clears throat> So from there, and Ryan, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but the the younger guy that was in Majid's apartment was Majid's child. Is that correct? Okay, yeah. So he basically, yeah. And so he kind of like wants to, yes, because now the other guy's dead, right? So who else could it be? Yeah, got him in trouble with the missus. He was uh he was giving her the fib, you know, said, oh, I went to go check it out. Uh, there was nobody there. Uh, hours later, a tape shows up of him having a conversation with that person. So, yeah. 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 Interesting. <laughs> well, and this is and this is what's really interesting is because this is really about the third act of this film and in terms of a traditional three act structure it is not the feel of a third act where everything's sort of coming together. As a matter of fact, the filmmaker's really content to sort of let everything feel as though it's not wrapped up, even though it may be the case that there's enough pieces of this puzzle there to really understand what's going on. Um, like, you know, by like, so when I finished this film, like with just, just going along for the ride and not taking any beats afterwards to reflect, like I didn't know who did it when it all was said and done. I still don't know who did it. I don't even know if that's the point. <laughs> A pissed off chicken. It's the... <laughs> exactly. It's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> yep. 
Yeah, dude, I'm I'm almost sort of getting like a malignant the chicken version vibes here too. For anybody that's seen that one, which go back and check it out if you haven't. Great film. I know it came out a few months ago, but mwah, brilliant. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so because from here, so now like George basically, you know, he he presses the kid. Majid's kid to tell him that he's doing the videos he says he's not and he basically just goes back home and takes a couple sleeping pills and he's like hey uh yeah this has been uh so one hell of an ordeal uh uh, uh yeah <laughs> I'm gonna go to bed uh call the wife let her know hey yeah I took a couple sleeping pills if uh, I'm not responding you know if I don't res wake up right away when you get home that's why uh peace out and then uh there's the shot of the, and then from there we get the shot of, and I, I assume this is another dream. Uh, it's of the kid basically being taken away from the house as a youth, right? Majid as a six-year-old uh, being taken away, which I actually would have thought would, would have been a fine final shot to go out on. But then that's not the final shot because the actual final shot then goes to a static shot of the exterior of the school, and it hangs there for a solid 90 to 120 seconds without anything happening. And then credits roll. And so, again, I feel like there's some sort of puzzle piece here going on. And I I know I 100% missed it. Yeah, that's uh, all right. It blow my mind here. What do we got? Interesting. Yeah, no, I totally missed that. And I was, and, and it's funny too, because I was kind of, I was watching because like there's someone hanging out in the middle of the frame and on, <laughs> and that must have been a misdirection, dude, because that's who I was watching and that's who I was waiting to see. And then I even watched through the credits and then at the very end, he like turns around, just picks up his kid and walks away. And I was like, God damn it. You got me, Hanik. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yes as yeah yeah interesting <laughs> okay, so 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 let's consider this for a minute, Ryan. Um because obviously so you know you had you had time to 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 recognize this and sort of acknowledge it and everything. So give me give me your just high level like what basically so it seems clear that he's saying that like these two kids were responsible for everything. So for if if that's the case <laughs> if that's the case, what 
If that's the case, what we need is the why. So I'd, I'd like your uh, insight on that. Sure, which I appreciate. Well, here's the other thing, too. The other, I'll, I'll even throw this out there. How do we know that that wasn't complete bullshit? How do we know she's a nurse? How do we know she's this chick's mom or this dude's mom? We don't. Oh, sure. Yeah, it makes perfect sense, like, from a, a logical standpoint. Yeah, no, that... Sure. Well, and the other thing, too, is, you know, and this is, I mean, just spitballing. I don't know if there's anything in the film that suggests this, and you can let me know if there is. But, I mean, we also don't know Pirro's character from the standpoint of perhaps this is not dissimilar from uh, a previous episode, Hard Candy. Uh, maybe some sort of metering out of justice, right? Like, maybe he found out through whatever set of circumstances, maybe Majid's kid reached out to him or maybe when all of this went down, well, no, he would have been before that. But yeah, maybe Majid's, Majid's kid reached out to him and sort of told him about these things his dad did and he was like, that's fucked up. We're going to teach him a lesson. It doesn't really go into his motivations, but, you know, these are a couple, I suppose, reasons that uh, there could be for it. Yeah, 13, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, there's got to be. I mean, there's a str- that's a, that's a strained relationship. I mean, maybe maybe there wasn't a single incident that broke the camel's back, right? But if you have any sort of relationship. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's true. Or it could be both. It could be like an Ouroboros thing, right? Like it, that, because that's totally how that would begin and end is with like a fist bump and exchange, right? Okay. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, you could even, uh, I mean, you, yeah, there's, because it's kind of left unclear, you can go a number of ways with it. I mean, maybe he was even trying to, maybe all of this was an initiative to catch his mom in the act, right? And then he accidentally stumbled across this stuff that his dad did. And now it's like, oh shit, well, this is, this is where we are now, right? Um, and then maybe he still caught some stuff. Yeah, maybe he still caught some stuff with his mom along the way. And that's why he knows. And that's why he's treating her the way that he is, but you know, it's no longer the primary goal, right? I'm onto this other thing, but I still know what's up. So fuck you for that. But like my efforts are going over here now. There's a lot. <laughs> Which by the way is still his best film. And he's made like 36 other films since. And I just think that's tragic. <laughs> it's good. It's really good. Oh, I don't know. I remember I watched it like way back in the day. That was like one of the one of the first like red envelope Netflixes that I got was that movie. I remember. 
But uh, James Spader, yeah. Dave, there's 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 David Spade and there's James Spader and Ryan. I'm here to tell you they're very different people. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> James Spader comes out as Joe Dirt <laughs> just not even playing character just like fuck you <laughs> it would have made for such a better movie hey guys how y'all doing yeah I'm gonna take over the world <laughs> uh, but anyways yeah so uh, so yeah that this has been uh, Cash aka Hidden and I think it was a uh, an interesting one to discuss. I'm glad it was the type of film that, you know, again, we talk about certain films like I didn't think last week's The Brood really lent itself to as stimulating a conversation. But, you know, when films are left kind of a little open and ambiguous like this, it gives us a lot to chew on and talk about. And I always think it makes for great conversation. So uh, this was a good one, man. I enjoyed it. So let's go ahead and wrap things up as we do. We've got three adjectives. Ryan, what you got? By the way, real quick, Ryan, before you continue, uh, I just have to put this out because so I'm a big Letterboxd fan. I know you're not on Letterboxd and I don't know how many of our listeners are, but I, I love Letterboxd and I love log going in and logging my uh, my films there. So I went last night to log in and I try not to read any of the art, you know, opinions or anything like that. Like I'm not trying to steal people's insights or anything like that. But it was funny that you talked about how it's being sort of genreless because the one comment that I did have, it was like one of my friends reviews and it was just simply Michael Hanique said, fuck your genre. And so the, the couple times you've mentioned that, like I literally just keep hearing that line in my head. Michael Hanique says, fuck your genre. <laughs> Ha, <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> ah, that's great, dude. So my first one is subtle. I just really liked the uh, subtle approach that the filmmaker took with this film. Doesn't beat you over the head with anything. You've pointed out the lack of a score. The acting was was not showy at all. You know, there's no big dramatic moments, no big giant reveals. Juliette Binoche arguably has one, maybe two scenes that kind of border on that, where she does kind of really get into her frustrations with him. But even then, oh yeah, she's... Lo lovely woman, great actress. No reason not to love Juliette Binoche. Uh, I honestly, I don't. Uh, this this very well could have been the first film that I've seen her in. I never saw Shock a lot, which I believe most people would probably know her from. Where do you know her from? Pornhub. <laughs> you saw that movie? You saw the English Patient? Wow. That is not a film that I would have expected you to see. I have not seen that movie. <laughs> yeah, I think she was... I actually do not stream, sir. I am a proud subscriber of old school Red Envelope Netflix. I receive my physical media in the mail as I am heating my house by way of wood-burning stove. <laughs> okay, but dude, I'm telling you, you can't imagine how many more films are available on that platform that you cannot get anywhere else. And here's the thing, Ryan. Here's the thing, man. If I haven't done it before, I live a proactive cinematic lifestyle, okay? When I want to watch, when I'm watching a movie... It is because I have decided that it is a film that I want to watch and I have gone out and I have seeked it and I have watched it. I'm not sitting here only watching what you're willing to serve me up, Netflix or Hulu, which is surprisingly limited when you want to do anything that was released before 2009. Okay? I like old movies and shit. Okay. <laughs> Hold on here, let me finish oiling my beard. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I do not have a beard, by the way. The only time I have a beard is because it's been two weeks since I've shaved and I'm just lazy. Uh, so, But I do have the curly Q mustache. Meah, I'm working on a nice Wario. I'm trying to crinkle cut it. I'm going to call it the crinkle fry. The Wario crinkle fry. Anyways, so... uh. Yeah, subtle. I don't know how we got uh <laughs> We're in three adjectives? <laughs> that was a three adjectives tangent? Holy shit. That's more of a film review tangent. Okay, all right. Uh, let's move on to number two. Skillful. And uh, like I said, I think there was a lot on display where Hanique was one step ahead of us as an audience. And I mean, you know, we're pretty sophisticated audiences too. I'm not trying to blow smoke up our own ass, but like we get films, we understand what filmmakers are doing. We see things that maybe not the average moviegoer would see. And uh, that being said, you know, he, he got a number on uh, old Jason over here anyway, especially with that last scene. So, and then, yeah, like I said, you know, I've broken down sort of the going from, you know, the wide shot to the individual's utilizing the digital cinematography and having that play into the overall story and the aesthetics 
So really skillful film. And then funny thing, Ryan, I had the exact same third adjective as you, but I had a feeling there was a there was a, a case that uh, a scenario where you went with slow burn. So just to hedge my bets, I went with slowly engrossing, which is yeah, cheating the system, saying the same thing in a different way. Uh, so since it's already been said, I don't need to break that one down, but subtle, skillful, and slowly engrossing at giving us that juicy alliteration we always love to have. And that brings us <laughs> to our formal rating. I do the star ratings. Ryan does the grade ratings. Ryan, give us a formal grade rating for cash. Nice. Nice. I was, I was interested to see because... Yeah, I, I honestly did expect you to like this one less than you did because for me, I actually got heavy Lives of Others vibes from this film. And yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no. Okay. Okay, cool. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> it passes Ryan's judgment. I have deemed this film worthy. <laughs> awesome, dude. Yeah. So for me, yeah, I, uh, I, I little bit better, uh, uh, higher score than you. Not, not super far off. Uh, four and a quarter out of five stars. Um, and yeah, for me, it was more. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of kind of on that B, the high, the B plus range uh, as opposed to the minus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, and uh, for all the reasons that we discussed, you know, really, and 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 again, I would, I I don't want to watch this film again tomorrow, but I am looking forward to rewatching this film sometime over the next, you know, couple of years or whatever, and uh, I think that I'm going to be able to use this conversation and a lot of what we've observed and sort of uh, piece together uh, and see everything that we talked about, you know. Uh, while I'm watching it, as opposed to having to reflect on it uh, the second time around. So that has been cash. Ryan, we got some social media accounts. And listeners, if you're not following them, you should be. Uh, first is that we are on the Twitter at Esoterica Cinema, and we are also on the Instagram at Esoterica Cinema. Both Ryan and myself are on both of those as well. Ryan is at the Ryan Siebold and Ryan underscore Siebold on Instagram. Is that correct? Awesome. Sweet. Finally got it. And for me, I am Jason Aberrant on both. That's one B and two R's. So go ahead and hit us up. 
As always, we love to hear from you. We've also got the old school email for anybody who's enjoying a nice crepe and wants to let us know about it. You can hit us up, esotericacinema at gmail.com with all of your crepe and crepe-related correspondence. You can also discuss muffins if you want to take it back to season one. Or you can talk about... (laughs) It's kind of a French pancake, really. I don't know. I think... I don't know that there is a French muffin. I mean, I know cupcakes are big over there, but we, we've, we've, you know, discussed the uh, cupcake versus muffin differential here before. So, <laughs> absolutely. It's, it, you know what? Go figure. I was going to say it's a tricky one. It's esotericacinema at gmail.com. And, uh, and then we've also got the website. So you go there, you go to esotericacinema.com. Esotericacinema.com brought to you by Sports Center. Uh, and then we've got a bunch of uh, cool stuff for you to check out there. So we've got the web player. We've got links to our awesome automatic. Uh, excuse me. We've got links to our awesome animatic for Flippers Gentlemen's Club. That one's always fun. And uh, the trailer. And of course, our master list. Our season two master list from which we choose all of our films. It's a beautiful list. And. We're looking for you guys not only to play along at home when we pull the films here at the end of the episode, but also, you know, these films are all coming off for season three, and we're going to need some new movies to replace those with. So, again, hit us up at any of the forums that we just mentioned, and feel free to suggest some films that you would like for us to put on next season's master list, and who knows, maybe we'll pull it, and we'll get to discuss that film that you love so much, and hopefully bring it to some people's attention. So, yeah. Oh, other thing, too. Uh, If you're listening and you haven't, uh, please do give us the old uh, subscribe or follow. And also do leave us a review on Apple or Podchaser or wherever you leave your reviews. It does help us. We really appreciate it. Those subs help us get our numbers up as well. So we appreciate that. And, of course, we appreciate you listening. At the end of the day, sub, like, whatever. But if you're listening to us right now, we appreciate you. Everything else is just gravy. So... Thanks a lot. We've got some really awesome numbers that we're looking forward to uh, continuing to increase this uh, season. And uh, with that being said, Ryan, I believe it's time to go ahead and pull our next film. <laughs> All right. Let's see what we got. So the first thing we're going to do, we got to go to our a true... <clears throat> So the first thing we got to do, we got to go to our random.org true number generator. None of this bullshit seemingly random stuff. No. No, that's Google shit. This is random.org stuff. And it's true randomness. (laughs) I don't know that they make any money, dude. I literally, they don't sell a single thing on this site. (laughs) I mean, like, this is just some, like, this is just some bored programmer, right? Like, he's, like, on staff on Microsoft. He's one of a billion. They And he just sits there and he's like, ah, fuck that. I, my true passion is in random number generation. <laughs> but anyway, so we've got 200 films. We're going to go ahead and we're going to pull it up. So anybody playing at home, you should know that we just pulled number 134. So we're going to give those people that have printed out their list or have it on their phones a minute to check it out. Number 134. Ryan, this is going to be an interesting one. I think this is literally the only type of this film that we have on this list. Um, 
I think that most people are probably familiar with this, not because of the movie itself, but because of esteemed hip hop supergroup, the Wu-Tang Clan. That's right. We are watching the 36th chamber of Shaolin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all of our other samurai films are like Harakiri and Kurosawa films where they're more like meditations on life and honor. And like, I think this is just a balls to the wall samurai film. You got a description for us? Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> yep. Excellent, man. Yeah, so uh, that's going to be a fun one. Like I said, don't really have a ton of these, uh, you know, just kind of old school samurai films on here. So uh, very glad we got to pull this one. Keep it keep it fresh. Keep it interesting. And yeah, I don't know about you, Ryan, but I'm expecting this one to be a little different from Harakiri that we watched the other day. <laughs> Absolutely. So everybody, thanks so much for joining us here for another episode of Esoterica Cinema. We will be back next week. In the meantime, enjoy a fake commercial. And we out.